Oh, it's always good to be at Hope. Unfortunately, my wife, uh, Eva, is not able to be with me today. Uh, Ken and Judy Landrude will uh, pick up on this, but uh, we uh, support and share with a group of women in Uganda, Africa. And uh, one of the women that we support is having a ministry with other women in her neighborhood uh, as they have babies and share in their families. And so she had said to Eva, who's kind of mentoring her, I'd love for these women to get to know you and you to bring them a word on Sunday. Well, Sunday there in the evening, they're at like five or six o'clock now, seven o'clock, I guess at night, it's an eight hour, seven hour time difference, eight hour time difference. And so my wife Eva was supposed to be on the phone or on, on uh, WhatsApp uh, with them all this morning at nine o'clock our time, uh, which is five o'clock their time, and that was a time that was set. But as Ken and Judy know in Africa, uh, they don't run by Western time. And so when I left our house at about quarter to 10, Eva was still not on the WhatsApp uh, with uh, Jackie, who was going to uh, lead the time together. So I'm assuming that she's probably on now, uh, but they don't run according to our time. So Eva said on my way out, she hated to miss, but uh, she's uh, connecting there. And we're just so glad to, to be here and to share with you this morning. I, I want to thank you for reading the scripture in your morning service. Uh, I thank you for having an extended passage of scripture read in addition to the sermon text in the morning service. There are many churches that I visit where reading of the scripture is not really done that much, maybe in, t in terms of the sermon, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when the word is read, it's so refreshing to just hear the word read among us uh, together. So thank you for that. And thank you for the text from Ephesians. I invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles or to turn on your devices to uh, Philippians uh, chapter three. We're gonna be reading the text and in fact, an extended text in, in a little bit. But if you have your uh, copies of the scripture open, uh, then we'll uh, be on page with you. I want to ask some questions of all of us this morning, including myself. And they're questions I hope that might probe a little bit into how you're doing with the Lord. When was the last time that you had a moment with Jesus, like the woman had in Luke 7. That was the sinful woman who came and cried and poured out her ointment and washed Jesus' feet with her tears. When was the last time that you had a moment like that where you wept and just embraced the Lord Jesus? When was the last time that you had an intimate moment with Jesus when you poured yourself out before him? When was the last time that tears streamed down your face as you expressed your love to him or you read the scriptures or you sang choruses or hymn tunes or, or walked in the beauty of nature and just were honoring uh, the creator of the universe? When was the last time that you expressed your uh, love to him with abandonment to him alone and to his will? When was the last time that you had an aha moment, reading the scripture, thinking of the Lord? 
Or when was the time that you had a kairos moment? In scripture, there's two words for time. Uh, there's the word chronos, which is chronological. That's the uh, time that we have that chronologically moves along. And then there's the word kairos, often used in scripture to mean time, which is a moment in time when God and you connect in a special moment. When was the last time? For my concern this morning is this that I look at my own life and, and I look at perhaps the lives of many of you and it is so possible for those of us who have been Christians for a while and been on this path of, of loving Jesus for a while, it's so easy and possible to have head knowledge without intimacy. It's possible to make a decision without really a commitment to follow through. It's possible to make an intellectual response and a heartfelt acknowledgement at one moment in time without continuing to grow and develop in Christ. It's possible for some of us to sit here who have been on the journey for a long time and say, hey, I know a lot. I would hope we're not saying we know it all, but I, I know a lot. I know a lot more than other people do. My concern is that so often we can begin well and so often we can move through our spiritual life and, and then all of a sudden there's a, a pause or a stop and, and we, we kind of become lazy. And so I want to challenge us this morning out of Paul's words in the book of Philippians, uh, a favorite book of many because it's a joyful letter, but it is also a letter of challenge. And that's where I want to move this morning. Now the backstory of the book of Philippians, as you all know, comes out of Acts 16. Uh, Paul arrives in the city of Philippi, and he's looking for believers who are present there. But you remember who he finds. He doesn't find a, enough men in the synagogue to meet with, but he goes down by the riverside, and there he finds a woman's prayer group, and it's led by Lydia. And she come, she's come to know Christ. She's a businesswoman from Asia who had a home in the area, and she was a seeker, and she comes to know Jesus Christ. In Acts 16, we're told that the next convert that we hear about is a slave girl uh, who comes to know Christ. She was impoverished, enslaved, and exploited, and, and she comes to know Christ. And then we well know about the Philippian jailer and his family. Uh, Paul rebukes the spirit of the, woman, of the girl, and she finds Christ. And then there's the jailer. Uh, he's the middle-class individual, blue-collar worker, known by his job. And he puts in his time, goes home. He's middle-class and he accepts the Lord. Now, this would not be my dream church plant. It wouldn't be a dream church plant to have a woman of means who has a woman's prayer group in a culture where men made up the synagogue quorums, uh, nor to have a, a slave girl who was poor and impoverished, nor to have just a blue collar worker. I want some higher level people, but this was the church where God's spirit worked and, and the whole new community was begun. And Paul now writes to them in the book of Philippians. And his uh, objective in writing in the book of Philippians is to challenge them to grow deeper in knowing Christ and to develop godly relationships with those who are in community of faith. So let's read the text. And I want to begin back at verse uh, 7. Uh, the major text I'm going to use this morning is, as on the screen I believe it probably is, is verses 12 
uh, to 16. But begin with me in verse 7 to catch the context of Philippians chapter 3. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul speaking. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already arrived or obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. So let me pray for us. Lord, this is a powerful text. Uh, Paul is sharing with us his credentials of, of, of what he had done earlier on in chapter 3. But then he moves to, to consider uh, what he was in Jesus Christ. But now he comes to a section where he says, but I've, I've not arrived yet. There's still room to grow. And so, Lord, might we hear the words of Holy Scripture. Might you take them into our hearts and apply them where they need to be applied this morning. For, Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Verse 12 of our text begins with those words uh, in all this. Not that I have already attained all this. Well, we have to go back to the earlier text of verses 11 and 12 to see what Paul meant when he said all this. And he's referring clearly to his declaration of his life's desire. I want to pursue God. I want to follow God. I'm willing to give up everything and count it but loss to follow God. And so every day, Paul has been ruthlessly pursuing an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus Christ whom he had already known now for probably over 30 years. There's an explosion of spiritual longing here that I, I hear in Paul. I hope you heard it too. And what is it that Paul wanted to experience? Well, the text says in verse uh, 11, it says the power of his resurrection. I want to experience God's life-giving power that he displayed in the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead and the power that God is about to bring about and sustain new life in a believer as they receive Jesus and share in him. And Paul says, that's what I want to know. And I'm going to keep pressing on to know that. Do you know that power? Have you experienced that power in part at least? 
Press on so that you might know the power of his resurrection available to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But then Paul says, I also want to experience or want to move through the fellowship of his sufferings. And we know well that as Philippians begins in the first chapter, 29th verse, Paul says there, it has been granted unto you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. Suffering for Christ is the lot of every believer. It's a divine gift, I believe. It's a sign of a sacred intimacy that you and I have with Jesus Christ. I believe suffering moves a believer beyond just feeling like, well, I'm the beneficiary of Christ's death uh, to being a sharer in his sufferings. I'm sharing in, in partnership with my Savior Jesus who suffered for me. Suffering that comes to a believer is not a sign of God's neglect. And my, I oftentimes feel that way. But it's a sign or a proof that God's grace is at work in your life. And that's all a part of what it means to grow in Jesus Christ. So this morning, my major theme is this. The more we come to know Christ, the more we will sense our need to grow. The more we come to know Christ, the more we should be sensing our need to grow. And I hope that you are committed to being a lifelong learner when it comes to knowing Christ. So let's unpack the text. I believe Paul gives us three phrases here that capture our attention. And the first phrase is there in verses 12, verse 12 and 13. Uh, and it says this, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I'm not there yet. That's the phrase I see. I'm not there yet. It's a confessional statement on the part of Paul. And, and I hope that you and I can have those confessional statements in those intimate moments with our Lord where we're saying, Lord, I'm not there yet. The language actually here is a resting in the Greek. I've not arrived yet. My spiritual journey is incomplete. Now, we have to understand that in Philippi, Paul's enemies would have said that they had reached a state of perfection. Uh, they've gotten there. And yet Paul has no allusions to that attainment or his attainments bringing that about. If you and I think we've arrived, we're going to stagnate. If you and I think we've arrived, we're going to stagnate in our faith. And that's my concern for believers who have been on the journey, especially for a while. I believe we have to live with what I would call, and it's not original with me, I forget where I read it, but we must live with a holy dissatisfaction. A holy dissatisfaction. Lord, I'm not there yet. Christ has taken hold of those who remain sinful. And though we're still sinful in our nature, God has given us uh, freedom from that sin, or he's paid the penalty for the sin, but he's not removed the presence of that sin yet in our lives. He's, he's paid the price and paid the penalty. The penalty's gone, but we still live with a sin presence. And the, the admission of my spiritual imperfectness is the starting point for the pursuit of God. We need to feel worse that we possess so little of Christ. Let me say it again. 
we need to feel worse that we feel that we have possessed so little of Christ. The more we get to know Christ, the more we should find out how much we don't know about Christ and about God. And therefore, we ought to desire to press on. But I'm not there yet. Uh, that's the essence of Paul's statement here. I believe Paul has a humble dissatisfaction. For Paul, spiritual life is a pilgrimage. It's a journey. It's not a point in time. It's a, a growing in grace. It's not an I made a decision and now I can just kind of coast along. It's I've made a decision. I want to pursue Christ and follow Christ. And that ought to give us hope in this life. The truth of my present imperfection and that God is progressively changing me and molding me and shaping me to be more and more like Christ keeps me from giving up, doesn't it you? I sometimes look at the sin nature that erupts in my life at times and I say, oh, how can I be a believer and do that or think that or feel that? And this gives me hope. It says, yes, I'm not arrived yet. I'm not there yet but I'm trucking and tracking in the right way. Because if I thought that I were where I ought to be today, and as far as I was going to be today, then I'd give up. Because I see in myself things that don't fit with that spiritual life. This gives me hope, it gives me comfort. It moves me from, give me, Lord, to make me Lord. I, I love the story of the prodigal son, the, the younger son in Luke 15. And, and there, if you remember the text, it's very interesting in Luke 15, verse 11 says, the son says, Father, give me my share. And so he's a taker. But then I notice in verse 19, when he's ready to come back to his father, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And I think there's a huge shift there between give me and make me. And I believe that's part of the I'm not there yet. Lord, I just don't want to get from you. I want you to make me and remake me and work in my life. Do you long to know Christ better? If you do, what steps are you taking? Now, the fear is that somebody might give up, and that's what I see in the text here. I'm not there yet, but I'm gonna keep moving in the right direction, and that's where we see the resolve that comes in the second phrase, which is we press on. Uh, this is resolved. It's a gritty statement. That, that Greek word to press on is, is a mighty resolve. I, I like the way that the J.B. Phillips translation puts this phrase. Grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasped me. Grasping ever more firmly for that purpose which Christ grasped me. Paul's language here comes from the athletic field or the war uh, setting. Uh, and it points back, I believe, to Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road. Do you remember Acts 9? For it was there that the mighty hand of Christ reached out and reached down and seized Paul and set him on a path to the home of Ananias. 
And now Paul is saying, God, you gripped me at one point in my life. You gripped me. You took me from the way I was moving, and you changed it 180 degrees and turned me around. And now the mighty hand of Christ that reached down to me, uh, I want to be in God's grip now of grace. Paul is taking hold of Christ. I'm going to press on, and I'm going to take hold of Christ who has already taken hold of me, and I'm going to hang on. Believers need to be active. We need to be desirous of growing in our faith. Uh, You know that phrase we used to use years back, let go and let God? No. No. It's not let go and let God. I know what the phrase was meant to to indicate. But we cannot rest. We can't just let go and let God. We can't rest where we are today. And Paul is saying, I will not be denied. I am going to press on. I'm going to take hold of Christ and all that he means. Will we be denied? Will we not press on? Will we passionately and persistently pursue Christ even when we walk through tough waters? Will we persistently and passionately trust Christ even when we go through the fires and move forward in our loneliness? Even when he doesn't seem to answer our prayers, will we be persistent and passionate in pursuing Christ? Even when circumstances seem to be against us, even when we are in the doldrums of life, Will we persistently pursue Christ? Paul says, I press on. I think of the four friends of the paralytic who pressed on because they knew a savior could be a healer and a sin bearer. I think again of of the woman with the hemorrhage who, who pressed on just to touch the hem of his garment and was healed. I think of Zacchaeus, who pressed on and climbed the tree in order that he could see Jesus and Jesus could see him. I think of Moses, who in Hebrews it says of him, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Do you see him? Do you see him reigning and ruling? And then Paul gives us two facets of this focus of pressing on, which I find fascinating. First, forgetting what lies behind. That's a tough phrase for me. Because I remember things that lie behind. So what does this phrase mean? It's a forgetting of your background and your past experiences which hinder the pursuit of God. There are many things in our lives that prompt us to live in the past. Loss. Bitterness, regrets, despair over past failures, the good things of the past. The Israelites, remember what they remembered about the past? How good it was to live in Egypt where we had the good food at our disposal. They forgot the slavery issue, but they had the good food. And so what is Paul saying here? Forgetting what lies behind. I think he's saying this. It's not dwelling on the past when it hinders our present effort or future progress. It's not dwelling in the past so that it hinders our future progress. Memories of success in the past can make you and me feel self-satisfied and complacent. 
instead of giving humble thanks to God for the successes. Moments of failure in our past can make us feel hopeless and paralyzed. I, I, I just can't make it. Humbly admit and confess your failures. I believe Psalm 103 is a wonderful reminder to us of, of the fact that we need to remember. Do you remember Psalm 103? And uh, particularly verse 3, but it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Okay? So there are things that we need to keep remembering, and it's his benefits. And then he goes on to list them, the psalmist does, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's what we need to remember. And so Paul is not saying forget everything. He's saying forget those things in the past which would, would, would just chain you down and keep you from pursuing God's goodness. Forget not all his benefits, his past mercies, the valuable lessons of the past. And then Paul says that we need to strain forward to what lies ahead. That's a word picture of that runner whose eyes are fixed on the goal, hands stretched out, body bent forward, breathing now labored, legs are pumping, the sweat is flying as they enter the decisive stage of the race. And folks, today, we need to set ourselves a goal to know more of the Word of God. We need to set ourselves a goal to grasp more of the will of God. And we need to set ourselves a goal to grasp or to marvel more at the wonders of God. And then make a plan to go for it with all of our might. In all of this, Paul says, we are pursuing the upward call. That's the King James Version. The upward call, which is the full and complete gaining of Christ for whose sake everything else has been counted as loss. I want to hear the Lord's well done, thou good and faithful servant, Luke 19, 17. I want to experience that crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 8. I want to pursue that unfading crown of glory, the unending presence of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. I want to experience what God has prepared for all of those who love him, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. And that's the cry of David. That ought to be your cry and my cry. David's cry in Psalm 63, my soul follows hard after you. My soul clings to you, O Lord. But if this is the way the message ends, then what I have simply presented to you today is a good self-help message. Forget the past, press on. Uh, you know, you haven't arrived yet, just you know, keep trucking along, but that's not where Paul ends and it's not where we can end either. Yes, there's effort we make, but notice the phrase at the end of verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We strive by grace. That's the dependence on God. So, so the three points this morning are simply these. We haven't arrived yet. That's our confession. Lord, continue to do your work in me. I'm not there yet. I've got areas you need to keep working in, and I want to keep working in. And secondly, 
we need to press on. That's the resolve on our part. But it's all done in dependence on the Savior who gives us grace. As believers, we want to grow not so that Christ will accept us uh, anymore. He's accepted us by the fact that he paid the price on the cross for our sin and we come to him as sinners saved by grace. But it's because Christ has already accepted us. That's, that's why we want to grow. Lord, you've accepted me. You're working in my life, and I want to keep growing in you. And in verse 14, we have this phrase, in Christ Jesus, because of our relationship with him, we want to keep growing. I like what Philippians chapter 2 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Uh, there's a partnership here. Uh, yes, we need to have the resolve to pursue but we need to do it with dependence on the Savior who is at work in me to even give me the energy and the, the excitement to do that. 1 Corinthians 5.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Sounds like Popeye, doesn't it? But For those who remember Popeye, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is within me. So this morning, might we continue to grow? Might we realize again that we haven't arrived and we won't arrive until our life on this earth is ended and we're with our Savior face to face? Let us remember that our task is to press on because of all that God does and has done and will do. But might we do it all? knowing that we're dependent on Christ, our Savior. I often marvel, uh, we've got 10 grandkids, so we've been through the thing of watching kids walk. And uh, you know how it is when you're in a family gathering and you've got a little one-year-old that's just starting to walk? And uh, we all sit around and they all start to walk and then they fall down. And what do we all do who are around in the circle? Oh, how could you fall down? How could you mess up? Get back up. Get... What do we do? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Come to mommy. Come to daddy. That's okay. Right? We, that's how we teach kids to walk. It's all right. You can do it. Get back up. We don't yell at the child. We don't talk about, hey, my side of the family, kids were walking when they were six months old. That, that must be your side of the family. We, we don't do that kind of stuff. We applaud them. We encourage them. Why? Because we know that they will mature. And we know that one day, walking will come to them. And they'll not only be walking, but running, and we'll have to try to keep up. But how do you respond to Philippians 3, 15 and 16? You know, we're, we're all walking now. But we still need a savior to encourage us. Maturity runs the race rather than thinking it's over. I'm still in the race. Maturity perseveres rather than giving up. I'm not going to give up, Lord. I'm going to keep pressing on. What steps will you take this morning, this week, this year? I always reflect on the new year. I don't make New Year's resolutions, but it's always a point for me to say, God, uh, where do you want me to grow? Where do you want me to, 
to pursue you? Are there certain areas that I ought to track on this coming year? Don't know if you remember the movie Chariots of Fire, but I love uh, the scene with Harold Abrams and his fiance. And if you remember Harold Abrams, he's a, a little bit frustrated because Eric Liddell is uh, running faster than he is. And uh, in one of the scenes, Harold Abrams says, if I can't win, I won't run. And his fiance in the scene responds back to him, if you don't run, you can't win. Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And then verse 16, just look at it with me as we close. But verse 16 says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Uh, this is a community thing we do. Uh, just think of Hope Church. You're all sitting around in a circle and one of you is in the middle and you're struggling, you're falling down, you're getting back up. Uh, just think of the encouragement of that child that's learning to walk. Paul is a believer among believers. He's saying, let us encourage each other. Let us respond to and encourage each other in the truth that one, we have not arrived. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to fail. We haven't arrived. But we all desire and need the encouragement to pursue and to keep pressing on. And we do that in dependence on Jesus Christ, our Savior. So let's keep our eyes focused on him. And let's keep living our lives according to his word and according to the hope that we have in him. Lord Jesus, simple thoughts from a familiar text. But Lord, uh, the reminder of them is something that I need and something that we need. For Lord, it becomes easy to become discouraged, frustrated, and to settle in, to settle down, to coast along. And yet we need that reminder, Father, that we haven't arrived yet and we need to press on, but it's all done because of the grace of God available to us and God's working within our lives to even give us the energy uh, to do what you desire us to do and need us to do, Lord. So work in my life, show me what you need to show me, Lord, and show us that this morning. For it's in your name I pray these things, amen.